How good is Denzel? How good is Michael Jordan? Three Films on a Podcast has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy. Hi there. Welcome to Three Films and a Podcast. I'm Tyler Beck, coming to you from a quintessentially October Portland day uh, up here, obviously, in Portland, Oregon. And with me, as always, are the irreplaceable and immensely talented Ben Lawhorn and Matt Weiler, uh, which uh, without the two of them, honestly, this podcast wouldn't happen. So uh, wherever this podcast finds you, I hope it finds you well and you owe them a big uh, round of applause and helping of thanks for uh, bringing this to you. It quite literally couldn't happen without them. Um, again, this will is hold for applause. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, I mean it though. It's uh, it, it genuinely, you know, all the graphics you see and all the, all the content you see wouldn't happen without you guys. So, uh, you know, I figured credit where credit is due, right? Team effort. Um, but um, yeah, we're three films and a podcast and, the way this whole thing works is we go through uh, new to us unseen movies in a uh, in a in a, a series of rounds. So each round, one of us will pick a category, and then each of us will pick a movie that matches that category, and we will watch and we will discuss. And now we are bringing it to the whole world to see and to listen to here on our podcast. Um, we're currently in round nine. We're discussing Spike Lee films. Uh, and this episode specifically is going to talk about Malcolm X, uh, the 1992, right? 1992. Sounds right. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it was right in my head. And then when I said it, I, uh, I second guessed <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. 1992 film by obviously Spike Lee. Um, and like I said, it's round nine um, for us. Uh, for you guys, this is still technically round one if you're listening to this podcast or watching it. Um, and with that in mind, we came up with an idea to do what we're calling little podcasts where, uh, we'll go back and we'll talk about the movies we've already seen. Uh, the the discussions are a little bit shorter, uh, but still, you know, there's a lot of good movies we've watched that, you know, we'd hate for you, the listener to miss out on. So with that in mind, um, we've got, uh, an episode recorded where we talked about our very first round where we watched, um, Dunkirk, the last black man in San Francisco and the farewell. Uh, if you haven't seen either of or any of those movies, I'd recommend checking them out and then uh, keep an eye on your podcast feed for the three pot, three, <laughs> three films and a little pod episode discussing the three of them. Um, we're also going to use that format to do a bunch of other fun stuff like um, the Halloween episode we've got coming up that was uh, determined by a vote on our Instagram feed. Uh, if you didn't see that and you'd like to participate in those sorts of things, give us a follow. Um, and uh, yeah, be a part of this movie club. Um, but, um, you know, without further ado, I think it's time we start talking about the movie that we're all here to talk about, uh, which is, again, Malcolm X. And uh, I'm going to let Ben set that up because I've talked for far enough. <laughs> <laughs> time to pass the mic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 1992's Spike Lee film, Malcolm X, I'll kind of give you the IMDb description so you guys know what it's about if the title isn't giving it away. It is the biographical epic of the controversial and influential black nationalist leader from his early life and career as a small time gangster to his ministry as a member of the nation of Islam. And I, yeah, I think this is such a wonderful film. Um, I think we really get to see 
a, a lot of Malcolm X, you know, essentially through adulthood, from where he starts as a small time crook to him becoming a leader. Um, and, you know, obviously ultimately ending with his demise. I'll just go over briefly my letterboxed review. Um, just as a reminder to everybody that listens, we're, we're keeping track of all the films that we watch in our letterboxed. It's a great community um, where, where people can go in there and talk about the films that they like, what they've been watching, and just kind of interact with each other to go over, you know, just the, the general thoughts of every of, of every movie. Um, so I'm just going to read mine real quick. Not too quick. It's a little long, but I've had trouble putting what's in my head into words for this movie. But after a couple of conversations, I think I can accurately share my perspective. First off, this movie is very powerful and goes to great lengths to tell as much of Malcolm X's story as possible. However, I often found myself distracted by the filmmaking. If you ask me to give you a period piece drama that looked like it used the same lenses as early real-world intros, Malcolm X would be it. Spike Lee is a fantastic director. Having just watched Do the Right Thing, his fingerprints are all over the style of that movie, but they're all over Malcolm, but they're also all over Malcolm X. And it didn't work for me as well this time. I don't want a fisheye lens super wide shot while Malcolm flattens his hair. That's too much for me. And I'm aware so much of this is personal perspective and preference, but that's all I have. The storytelling was wonderful. I really felt like we got to see both the good and bad sides of Malcolm X and the groups he was involved with. The cast is superb. I can't believe Denzel lost out on the Oscar to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. But this performance will pass the test of time. We are definitely going to dive into that later on. Um, I never want to advocate for remaking classic movies, but I will say that I think a modern-day limited series uh, on Malcolm X would work so well. This movie is almost three and a half hours long. There was so much that got jammed into it, and I just feel like it could have been extended and just given to us in you know six or eight episodes for an, an hour long each. I think that there's definitely enough material there for us to talk about. Um, overall, I'm very happy I got around to watching this. Seeing the runtime initially uh, kind of scared me off a little bit, you know, but for you have sure. to have a certain mind frame when you're going into something like this. Like it's a commitment. I know I felt that way the first time. I think it was, uh, is it There Will Be Blood? I think it's like three hours long or something. I was like, I've heard great things about this, but this is a very long movie. <laughs> but I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! I think Malcolm X did a great job of keeping me involved. I was interested the whole time. We get to see so many different aspects of his of his life, and I think Spike Lee just did a wonderful job kind of showing us all of that. So, And then I just ended with what is my favorite quote from the whole movie, such a strong performance from Denzel, and I think it just kind of hits so hard when he talks about, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock landed on us. See, this is what you, these are the questions. These are the questions you and I have to ask. How did we get this mind? You're not an American. You're an African who happens to be an American. You have to understand the difference. We didn't come over on the, the Nina, the Pinta, and the, and, the, and the whatchamacallit. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Landed right on top of us. I think that's a, just a great summation of what the movie is about. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was a fantastic movie. Yeah, for sure. I... You know, before we started recording, I talked about wanting to just go through our letterbox reviews one after another. But um, there's a few things that you touched on that I kind of wanted to um, expand upon right now while I was thinking about it. Um, and one, I was actually surprised to see that uh, maybe not surprised. It just didn't occur to me that um, it could work as a as sort of like a long miniseries or something. Um 
Cause like for me, like for me, honestly, like after I, after I watched it, I was thinking about like, you know, if it were to be remade now, you know, who would direct it or who would be, you know, who would be Malcolm X and you know, what, which of today's actors. And I thought about uh, prompting you guys and asking you to think about that before the episode. But for me, honestly, I, I just was like, I don't, I don't think it needs it. And I'm not saying you necessarily think it needs it either. Yeah. Um, I just, I was just, uh, the, the thought never even occurred to me that it could be anything other than what it is or that it could be remade. And not that I think you're wrong. It just was like, I just had never, I just didn't think about it. And I, I do, I do think you're right. It would be cool to see it maybe a little bit longer so we could get a little more detail and uh, in-depth, um, I guess, conversation about it. But uh, yeah, that was just something that jumped out from your review for me. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times with movies, and I think we talked about this with 25th Hour, where there's times where you finish something, it's like, man, I feel like they could have chopped off 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and it just would have been great. She. And I feel like this is one of the, the rare opportunities or one of the rare movies where going the opposite direction really would have done it. Uh, I don't know. It, it just would have made it great. I think, you know, it's three and a half hours long, which is insane, but it's like, cool, double that, chop it up for me. And like, let me watch seven, one hour segments because I'm into it. Like I'm super into it. Yeah. I think as far as recasting the obvious and super easy choice, you know, given the recent viewing of Tenet and black Klansman and stuff would be John David Washington. Like he would be fantastic. I'd actually kind of like to see like him fill his dad's sh- shoes, you know, and kind of see how he, how he takes on that role. But um, yeah, like I said, in the letterbox, I'm usually not someone who's on board with a remake or anything like that, but this is one of the few times I'm like, I feel like this film is a masterpiece and it shouldn't be touched, but, but. big but. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't be upset with like just a limited mini series on Malcolm X go into it some more for me. I do think that that's one type of remake that, I think can usually get a pass is one like you're describing where it's not just remaking a movie, it's turning it into like a different format. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not the exact same thing. And I, I do think I'd like to see it. Although if, and if I never saw it, I wouldn't be disappointed because I thought this movie was great, but yeah. um, I thought I had something else I wanted to touch on from your review, but I can't remember right now. So I think um, we can just move on and Matt can, can take over from there. Cool. Um, I mean, just to, I guess, advocate for this to be made into a series, um, reading through Tyler's review here, which I'll, I'll share in a second, um, is just the, the lack of exposure that a, a figure like Malcolm X gets to the white community. Um, I think his story is pretty well known, you know, in the black community. Um, but yeah, let me read Tyler's review um, of it on Letterboxd. And I'll do my best to uh, do my do Tyler's voice justice. <laughs> don't I don't do wait. that. No I can't wonder. wait. <laughs> one Just one is it. enough. One is <laughs> This is Tyler in Portland. His review starts off. I, I put off writing this review for a while because it took me a while to understand how truly I felt about this film. To be clear, I really liked it. I just needed to think about it for a while. In the end, what it comes down to is this. This movie made me realize, as a white guy, how disconnected my understanding of the black community and their struggle is. Just how much of a struggle it must have been and continues to be to coexist with their white neighbors. There's a quote floating around from Joe Biden where he says, I think about what it takes for a black person to love America. And to me, that's what this movie is all about. 
When I think about this movie, I think of it less about the story of Malcolm X and more about the story of angry, disillusioned African Americans trying to reconcile their existence in a society that, by and large, couldn't really care less about them. I mean, growing up, I never heard much about Malcolm X, other than that he was sort of the yin to MLK's yang, the extremist, the dangerous separatist, the other side of the civil rights leader coin, so to speak. But what I didn't understand, or frankly, embarrassingly, never even thought to try and understand, is why that point of view even existed. Malcolm X's ideas were radical. They incited violence and unrest, and in the end, his ideas killed him. But despite all of that, his voice was necessary. Sometimes you have to make some noise if you want people to hear you. Ultimately, if I'm being honest, I still lean towards Dr. King's approach, as I feel that violence and separatism can only breed more violence and separatism. But after watching this film, I feel I have a better understanding of why Malcolm X felt the way he felt and why he means so much to the black community. As for the filmmaking, I didn't personally feel as though the spike-isms in this movie were too much. In fact, I felt they were quite appropriate and frankly, I didn't even notice them. Denzel is incredible and Angela Bassa is really, really great. Overall, I'd highly recommend. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> and I Spot typed on, that up. Tyler. Yeah, I typed that up t- uh, this morning before we recorded because, you know, like I said, I, I it really was difficult for me to <clears throat> write the review because I wasn't totally sure other than the fact I was like, yeah, it was good. I'm glad I watched it. I think everyone should watch it. I really wanted to, you know, think about why I felt that way. And I, and I think that's and I mean, obviously, that's what I wrote. So that's what I think. But, um, yeah, I uh, it, it was not difficult for me to write the review, but it was just difficult for me to think about why I wanted to write it. Yeah. I mean, I think, and my review is very similar in that, um, there just felt like so much, and you're right. Like it's about Malcolm X, but there's just like so much there, um, to experience. And there's like different experiences. Like you have to watch the whole thing because if you stop midway, then you're missing like what the movie's about. Like there's no point. You have to complete the journey. Right. Um, yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Um, moving on to my review. If you were to ask me about the man Malcolm X, I would have told you that he was an extremist, a racist, a dangerous voice that led his following through militancy and violence. In other words, the counter argument to MLK's methods. That assessment would have been at best misleading and out of context. That is the nature of black history in the United States. The movie did a good job of showing everything. It gave context to his upbringing, his conversion, his philosophy, and his evolution. It showed why people, especially white, would draw those conclusions and cling to the more outrageous details of his legacy. It also shows why his thought and activism is revered. I can at least give a more informed perspective when talking about him. As far as the movie goes, by the time I had started watching and remembering movies, Denzel was already Denzel, and he was cast in the movies to be Denzel, which isn't a negative. I love Denzel. But in the movie, he is Malcolm X. It made sense that after roles like this in Glory, he became a star for the next decade. Though I've said before that John David Washington is still the greatest thing Denzel has ever done. It was, it was great to see him in this. And Holy Angela Bassett, I've loved her work and everything I've seen her do. I love the emotional weight she brought. As always, it was fun to see the Spike Lee-isms put into his films, as well as some of his usual lineup making appearances. What a joint. Yeah, I was was surprised. um, Maybe not surprised. I don't know. The reason we're 
you know, a, a club, maybe not the reason we're a club, but one of the reasons I appreciate uh, doing this with you guys is because we do share a lot of uh, the same thoughts and feelings. Uh, but I thought it was interesting how all of our reviews were sort of the same, but they did have their differences. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like for Matt and I, uh, the spike isms didn't bother us as much as it seems like they bothered Ben. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like I put in my review, I honestly didn't even notice them. In fact, to me watching it, I mean, it was, it was very hyper stylized and it definitely, it definitely had, um, a certain, a certain tone to it and a certain, uh, a certain way about it. But to me, it was, it didn't scream Spike Lee. I, I don't know if I didn't know it was a Spike movie and he wasn't in it for a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would have necessarily guessed it was a Spike Lee movie, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, his, his touch didn't, in my opinion, didn't overwhelm the story. Um, but I think, uh, I think it's interesting that it, it did for you. And I, I don't know. I just think it's cool that, uh, despite having similar takes on it, there were some differences like that. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting to kind of see what sticks out to us and what doesn't. I think for me, yeah, I don't know for some reason just really stuck out to me, like the, the vibrancy of the colors and, just, I mean, it really was kind of the camera angles and things along those lines. And maybe it was because I had watched, you know, 25th Hour. And that, for me, that was an example of, like, I have no idea this is a Spike Lee movie until that tracking Dolly shot, <laughs> you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, like, if that shot isn't in there, I don't know who that movie belongs to in the nicest way possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's yeah. no, like, characteristic mm-hmm. Spike shots in it. Whereas this one, I was like, okay, yes, this is definitely early Spike Lee movie. Um, but it it's great though. You know what I mean? Like that's also yeah. kind of what makes it what it is. Like the costumes are great. You know, he's worked a long time with Ruth Carter. Who's like, who won the um, Oscar for black Panther for costume design. Like Spike Lee. Thank you for my start. I hope this makes you proud. Marvel may have created the first black superhero, but through costume design, we turned him into an African king. I think they worked together on Do the Right Thing. Like, yeah, I don't know that, like, I mean, outside of Do the Right Thing and even sometimes in that, I don't know that I love Spike Lee as an actor. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean, there's probably more similarities than there should be, but... It's, you know, it's kind of like Quentin putting himself in movies. and like, I feel like you didn't need to do this. Like, this could have been somebody <laughs> yeah. else, but, like... I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. When Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the gourmet expensive stuff, because when I drink it, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. Whatever. This is your movie. You can do what you want. I, not right. to say that he's bad, but just, like... It, that's also probably one of the things I'm like, oh yeah, that's Spike who just wanted to hang out with Denzel, which is fine. I, if I had a Denzel in my movie, I would put myself in the movie too. I don't begrudge him that. It's just like, okay, like come on, you know. But I mean, speaking of Denzel, like to your point, Matt, I think for the three of us anyway, like he's just always been Denzel. You know, he's like one of the one name people. Who like, yep, it's gonna be good if he's in it, whatever. But it's interesting that I think this was really his breakout performance, you know, so for the people who saw it at the time, I mean, he had been doing St. Elsewhere on TV, which was obviously popular. He had done, um, was it Mo Betta Blues, I believe, with with Spike? So this is their second time that they've worked together. But I really feel like 
this kind of set him off. I'm sure I'm downplaying how huge Glory was at the time. Um, I I don't know that I have a great association with that movie because it's just like a school movie that they would put on when they didn't want to teach us, so I don't remember a ton about it. But <laughs> I really feel like Malcolm really just kind of put him on on the scene, so to speak. And I, I just still think it's like one of the best performances he's ever given in his entire life. And for the second time this episode, I'm just going to say how mad I am that Al Pacino won for Scent of a Woman <laughs> over Denzel and Malcolm X. <laughs> that is insane to me, but yeah. Oh, man. Not to step on the Denzel conversation, uh, but I think there's there's plenty of time to talk about Denzel. Yeah. Something you just said just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I can't believe how appropriate it is. Well, unfortunately appropriate it is to what we're talking about where um, I had the same experience with glory that you did in that it was uh, thrown on the TV when teachers didn't feel like teaching us. Mm -hmm. And that is such an incredible representation of why I feel like a movie like this is so important because I, no one ever took the time in my life growing up to teach me about uh, the plight of the African-American person in America. Yeah. And the fact that a movie like glory is just something that they throw at us when they don't feel like doing anything else. It's like an afterthought and something that's not important to them. Uh, it just, I'd never thought about it that way. And hearing you say that out loud uh, was uh, shocking and striking. And it, mm. it really like, I mean, it touches on pretty much what I think all of us said in our reviews where it's just, I, I completely misunderstood Malcolm X. And, you know, granted, I think from what I know, uh, the movie did a good job of, of staying true to the actual story of Malcolm X. I'm sure there's some liberties taken. I know that, um, you know, there's characters in the movie that didn't exist in real life and that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, just the, 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 uh, importance of it and, and, and all that, I just, it's, it's just, I'm kind of, it's kind of spinning my head right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it did a good job kind of showing both sides of him, you know, of Malcolm X. It's just like, yeah, he, I, I, I don't know. I think there's a movie out there, a bad movie out there that just kind of like glosses over the bad things that he did. You know, that, I mean, the whole first hour of the movie is like him stealing, you know, him sleeping with white women, which at the time obviously was a huge deal, all that kind of stuff. It's like, there's a movie that just kind of talks about him as the leader, you know? And I think we see those kind of biopics a lot. You know, I thought about that with, I mean, off the top of my head, like straight out of Compton, like they do not address any of like Dr. Dre's like domestic abuse problems at all. But it's like, yeah, he's an executive producer. They're not going to (laughs) talk about that, you know? And I mean, just kind of sugarcoating even Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like, I mean, I don't know. There's just so many things um, that happen in biopics where it's just kind of like sugarcoated and glossed over where, and I'm sure this Malcolm X still did that a little bit, but I think for the most part, it was pretty honest about who he was. And unfortunately, like we've all been saying, this is probably where I've learned the most about him as a person. You know, like I yeah. think we all know about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King from school, but that's kind of where a lot of that just like ends off for us. So it, it's nice, even if it isn't a narrative kind of format to, to get a little exposure to some of the other important, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to finish it, that off. Jumping, yeah. off of, jumping off of what both you and Tyler said, like I feel like our school black history consisted of watching glory and watching Roots. I can't yeah. even recall like a history teacher talking about any of that stuff. It's like, yeah. watch this. Yes, it was bad. Like, I think we just collectively knew that like slavery was bad, but no one like really like openly condemned it or talked about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was interesting. And then like with Malcolm X, like once once you're like about halfway through the movie and you're hearing some of the things that he's saying and you're you're listening to his philosophy and you're like, okay, I can see why like white people had a problem with him. I could see why like his tactics were problematic. Um, but then like you finish the movie and you're like, whoa, wait a second. Like I never heard this part of his story. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't hear him come all the way around and like basically condemn everything that he had been about before, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. His capacity to, at least from what we've been shown and the limited knowledge that I have about it, his ability to uh, learn and grow and change and adapt is something that I think needs to be talked about more because like we've all said, I didn't know him that way. I just knew him as it's words that I even hate coming out of my mouth, but it's like the angry black guy. You know what I mean? You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Let us straight. Run amok. This is what he does. It's embarrassing. It it truly is because I think, I mean, the story itself is incredible. I, I had no idea of like where he, I knew he came from Omaha and I knew he came from poverty. Um, but I mean, it, as sad as it is to say, like, that's not something that's terribly surprising for the story of any black person in America, really. Yeah. So, but I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know his roots as a hustler. I didn't know any of that stuff. I, it's so it, just seeing his overall progression from, you know, his young life to where it ultimately ends was, uh, was surprising to me. And I, and I was mm-hmm. really glad to have seen it. And I think it, you know, it just kind of speaks to, a line from uh, the last black man in San Francisco. I know it stuck out to both of you. I think it was in Matt's letterbox review uh, where it just says, you know, we're not just one thing. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think it's cool that Malcolm goes through life believing that everybody is just one thing and that there should be some separation to ending up to where he doesn't necessarily think that way. And I think that that, uh, that point and that discussion gets lost completely because I mean, frankly, not, I don't think either any three of us had any idea that that's truly who he was a person that Mm -hmm. thought deeply. I think, you know, we all knew he was an intellectual, but uh, he truly thought deeply and he truly cared and he truly listened and he truly was trying to do what he thought was best. And I think uh, I'm just glad that, you know, we were able to see it. Um, As far as the movie itself is concerned, I think it might be, I don't know. I took some notes as I was watching it. I'm sure you guys did too. Um, the way that it opened, I just wrote uh, I, like the the like the the burning flag. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 speech over the burning flag. To me, it was just like okay, that's like it was. The, I think it was the perfect opening to this movie because it was going to challenge everything that I thought. You yeah. know my my perspective. I thought it was a, a direct challenge to like the white American perspective. Taking you over there to help you build America. Being born here does not make you an American. I'm not an American, you're not an American. You're one of the 22 million black people who are the victims of America. You and I, we've never seen any democracy down there. No, we've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare.
thought that was a really brave, uh, bold opening statement. And I thought it was clear from the very start that uh, this movie was for black people. Like it was something for them to be proud of. It was something that was for, for them to have and to hold. It was, it was a movie for them. Like we have, we as white people have all every movie. We've got all our heroes and we've got all the Supermans and all the everything. But like this was a movie that was made for them. And if white people could learn from it and enjoy it, then that's great. But it wasn't for us. Um, my thought sort of changed towards the end of it to where I am now, to where it was just a good lesson. And it was something yeah. that it was for it was for everyone. Uh, but it was I really appreciated that it challenged me straight out of the gate. I'm curious what you guys, what was your first impressions when the movie started? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt similarly. Um, and like, I, like I've said, I feel like if you stop this movie midway, you've missed the experience. Um, and you not that you'd ever do that anyways with a movie, but like it is, it, it's a transformation story. And so mm-hmm. to see him, and it also just shows like to, to his character, like, he was never a blind follower. He he would learn new things and he would follow new things. But when he when new information was presented to him and things were exposed, like he evolved from that and he just continued to evolve up until up until he died, basically. And that's something that isn't talked about. And so I, I agree. I had a similar sentiment. I'm watching this and I'm hearing like sort of the dialogue that he's talking about, especially in reference to white people and honestly like we hear some of that today still mm-hmm. um and it's one of those things where like well if you're if you're guilty of it then that's then you'll take offense to it but if you're not guilty of it then it's not going to bother you and i do agree with that sentiment but i could see why like a white audience would maybe take offense to some of the things being said the filmmaking like didn't seem to apologize for for that um based off the feelings that i was feeling at least and then it does like as he he goes to Mecca, he he converts to, I guess, true Islam. And you kind of you see like his his resolve soften, his philosophy expand. And he comes back to the United States like a completely changed person, ready to approach things in a very different way. Are you prepared now to work with some of the other leaders of some of the other civil rights organizations? Yes, we're prepared to work with any groups, leaders, organizations, as long as they're genuinely interested in uh, results, positive results. I agree. Like, it starts off feeling like this maybe isn't for me. Maybe this is like, this is way cool to see. Like, I love, I love seeing things that is written and made for black people because it gives me a little bit of insight in, in their world and what they experience. But um by the end it was like man everyone needs to watch this like we have a historical figure that we know nothing about and the only reason we don't know anything about is because we've chosen not to care about him as a as a historical figure yeah yeah it's true i think it hit back on what we talked about with our education growing up i think we kind of got the version of like mlk was a great person the civil rights act was put into law and racism was over, you know, and it's like, well, fast forward 25 years, like, no, that's not the case at all. You know, it's like, that's not how this happened. I think this movie, um, really, I don't know if I had to break it down in simplest terms, like it's a movie about personal growth and that's what we get to see for three and a half hours, which is fantastic. And as far as like who the audience is, um, I'm going to play the clip here of what I'm talking about because I know I'm not going to summarize it well. But I do remember in the Oscars a few years ago, um, I believe they had you know kind of a montage going on. 
and Kumail Nanjiani spoke and he said something along the lines like, I grew up watching movies starring white guys my whole life and I loved them and I was able to see myself in them. And I don't think it's a horrible thing to ask you to do the same for me. Some of my favorite movies are movies by straight white dudes about straight white dudes. Now straight white dudes can watch movies starring me and you relate to that. It's not that hard. I've done it my whole life. Well, I don't think we think about that. I grew up and I was like, oh, yeah, all the actors are white. This is a story for me. You know, it was like Hmm. then we get to see something with someone with a different background. It's like, yeah, you can still relate to these people. You know, like you can still find... I guess the empathy and just the connection with them, even though you guys aren't going through the same exact thing. And I think that's what this movie does really well. You know, it's like we, the three of us have been so privileged and never had to experience anything like we see in this movie, but I still think we're able to learn from it and take something away from it. And that's, you know, that's what it's for. You know, I know Spike, when the movie was coming out, was initially had a different director. His name was Norman Jewison. And he had done, you know, big movies. He had done like, moonstruck and in the heat of the night like he had done some some great films but there was just the pressure and spike said like this malcolm x needs to be direct directed by a black director i don't feel that a caucasian uh, director could do justice to this to this project to this film and i'm not saying that only black people can direct black projects and only white directors can direct white projects but in particular matter specific case it's called for no one can tell me that the Godfather was not enhanced by Francois Coppola being Italian-American. He had nuances that nobody that wasn't Italian-American had gotten. The same thing with Scorsese, with Mean Streets, Goodfellas, and Raging Bull. And I think this is along the same lines. You needed an African-American, a capable African-American director. Like, not that he wouldn't do a fine job, but just, like, the nuances, the history of it. Like, he doesn't have it. Like, he's a white guy and needs to have a black director. And so... He left the film. Spike Lee was hired on, and you know here we are. And I I do think it's the right choice. I I don't think necessarily that people can't tell other people's stories, but if you get someone, you know who who's close to the source material, they deserve the opportunity to tell that story. And I think this is a great example of that. Yeah, for sure. I I can't imagine like one of the scenes that really stuck out to me in the beginning, uh, and it really helps set up. Uh, not only just Malcolm X's character, but the plight of a black man or a black child in that time. And maybe, you know, probably even today, not even probably, uh, is when he's, when he's in class talking to the teacher. Mm. And despite, despite the fact that he's, you know, at the top of his class and all the grades and every other performance metric, uh, the teacher straight up calls him the N word to his face and tells him that he can't be a lawyer. He should be, you know, a carpenter or whatever, someone that works with his hands. I want you to think about something that you can be. You're good with your hands, making things. People would give you work. I would myself. Why don't you become a carpenter? That's a good profession for a color. Wasn't your pa a carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter. To me, there's no way that that, I mean, maybe it was written into the movie, but that scene's very different if it's a white guy directing. I think I can't yeah. believe I can't I can't imagine it would have been as uh raw and as harsh as it was. And I think a scene like that is extremely important for someone like me to understand like what it means to be a black person in this country, especially mm-hmm. especially then. Uh obviously it's things aren't that much better, but um just the 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 uphill battle and and just the 
just the uh, institutionalized racism and how casual and how normal it is and how, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it just, I, I can't imagine the movie would have been the same had it been just some white guy. <laughs> For sure. One thing that Spike does amazing in all of his movies was the way he portrays uh, the world that we're going to be living in for, in this case, three and a half hours. Uh, but he really, he really does make a place feel lived in and make it feel real. Mm-hmm. And the shots uh, in the early, in the beginning parts of the movie were just, I thought they were so, 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 so cool. Like yeah. it, it's hard to, it's, I mean, it seems like it's archival footage, like mm-hmm. restored somehow, you know what I mean? Like, and it seemed so vibrant. It seemed so cool. And it seemed like such a different world. And there was a moment where um, Malcolm's, he's a waiter on the train, you know, and they're, they're in the back listening to the boxing match. And then he's got to go out and serve these racist white guys. And, you know, he puts on the whole song and dance and, oh, yes, sir, master, all that, all that shit. And then it cuts directly to a shot of him in Harlem and just the juxtaposition of the two worlds that he's living in, it made me really realize like how important that neighborhood is to the black community. And, and, and just, I don't know. It just, it, I, it's just struck. It was, it was one of the, it was one of the scenes that really jumped out to me, just the straight up juxtaposition of the comfort and privilege of white America. And then, as, as, as beautiful as it is that there is a community like that, you know, there's only one place really for a black person to be a black person. And that was in Harlem. And I thought it was really cool to be able to see that. I mean, it's not cool, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, I think it's yeah, important it cool. that we get to see that and how, just how important it is to them and how they interact with it. And uh, I was curious if you guys had any other, like Matt, did you have any thoughts similar to that or any other juxtapositions that jumped out to you or i mean just as we've been talking uh there's that scene where they're in prison and uh jackie robinson joins the dodgers and like everyone in the prison just like super stoked like it's big news and like everyone's like super excited like you'd imagine they should be and the um the guy that's sort of converting him over to islam was like what are you like what are you celebrating did you hear no what happened the Brooklyn Dodgers brought up Jackie Robinson, and we're pounding the hell out of them celebrating. Yeah, that's all right. Sure, white man threw us a bone, and we're supposed to forget 400 years of oppression. Like, yeah, that's that's cool, but that's like, it's really meaningless. And I think about today, um, with all the ridicule, especially here in Utah, as embarrassing as it is, that like, you have the NBA bubble, you have these... I mean, we're lucky enough to see like um, athletes of all different backgrounds, skin Mm -hmm. color um, in the NBA and the MLB, NFL, like we have it all. Uh, But in the NBA bubble, when it becomes like an opportunity to use that platform as uh, to speak for like on behalf of Black Lives Matter and raise awareness, you have all these fans like tweeting in about how they're not supporting the NBA anymore, Mm -hmm. how they don't want to do this. It's like. And it, it just like it holds true back to that scene where it's like really like at the end of the day, it's great, um, you know, that we do have the diversity, that we do have, you know, black Americans with that platform that are pro athletes. But the the pro athlete side of things is not representative of their experience here in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, yes, Jackie Robinson made it to the MLB, but that's not helping 
like it, it's helping more people like him reach that level in athletics, but it's not really showing the the black experience for what they're facing every day. And to hear some of these people be like, well, what are these guys crying about? They make millions of dollars. It's like, well, they're crying about it because they this isn't representative of where they came from. Like right. a lot of these, they didn't always make millions of dollars. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, a lot of these came from like single families, poverty stricken neighborhoods, bad schools. Like these guys got out of a bad situation. Right. So that's what that's what that's what um, that's what I was reminded of. Yeah, it's kind of the voice for the voiceless situation where they're, you know, lucky enough to have the success that they do, which is great. You know, I mean, for anybody, that'd be amazing. Like, but they don't forget where they came from, so to speak, you know, and it's the same, even with just with white actors, we got all these people who refer to them as coastal elites. It's like so many of these people are just from the Midwest, though. They just live there yeah. now, you know, like yeah. people aren't just born and raised in LA and New York City and never leave, you know, it's just like they, they still have family members who are suffering from I, I, not the privilege that the rest of us have, you know, so it's, you, you use your platform for good and it's frustrating, you know, just to hear people say like, Oh, just like stick to sports or what was it? Shut up and dribble. Is that what was it? Laura Ingram that said that to LeBron. It's just like, yeah. no, that's not, that's not fair. You know, like people are able to use their platforms for their own purposes. And it's, it's beyond yeah. not fair. I didn't mean to cut you off, I'm, but it's no, like, you're right. yeah, the, 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 it's not just that it's unfair. Like it is unfair, but like the level of hypocrisy of someone using their platform to sell someone else that they can't use their platform yes, is yeah. fucking mind blowing. And it's something <laughs> that I've always thought about. Like, like someone like there's people on my Facebook timeline or whatever that will go on there and they'll be critical of the black lives matter movement or whatever. And that's all fine. But if like you can have your opinions and I'll talk to you about them and I'll still, mm -hmm. you know, these are still people in my life that I love and respect. But the second that you use your platform to tell someone else that you don't agree with them using their platform. Yeah. It's it just like, it, it's a level of hypocrisy that I just, I can't even reconcile. I can't comprehend it because it just, it just, it makes literally no sense. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I will say that I just think in the past, I don't know, few years, my unfollow button's gotten more used than it ever has on Facebook. Just gonna think, yeah. Not that I don't feel like you can't have this opinion, but like for my own mental health, like I just don't need to see some of these thoughts that people have, you know, it's, yeah, it's frustrating. I actually have the opposite approach. I, I specifically don't unfollow them because I feel like I need to remind myself that that point of view exists. And I, yeah. I genuinely feel like I personally, I've struggled with this, man. I've, I've gone like toe to toe arguing with people that didn't agree with me in it. And it never got anywhere. I never yeah. changed my mind. They never changed their mind. So like, I feel it's my responsibility to figure out a way that I can understand their perspective as much as I can and try to, and try to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I, and I just, I feel like I don't want to be in my own little happy bubble where everything, where I, you know, everything seems to be fine. So I purposely keep those people on there and I, I understand like, it's definitely a drain <laughs> mentally, yeah. but I just, I'm not advocating for you to do one thing or the other, but it's just like, for me personally, I, it's almost like a, my own little punishment. I will say I don't go on Facebook very much anymore because <laughs> of that, but it is something I'm like, I feel like I need to know that it's still there. That's, <laughs> yeah, know? that's totally fair. I, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. I can see the, uh, it's a valid, it's a valid strategy to just get rid of them, but you can either do that or just don't go on Facebook like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, win, win. 
Yeah. Just check in every now and then to remind yourself how ugly the world can be. Yeah, I think um, the the turning point for me was what I felt was just like dictating or just like researching this great response and just explaining why their viewpoint was maybe not entirely accurate and you know, you get the nerves like hit and send and like I don't want to offend anybody, whatever. And then just later on they just respond LOL. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is insane. Why am I putting myself through this? Right. So yeah. I understand completely. I've I'm just like I'm taking the coward's way out, I guess. And just like I just For I'm sure. done with it. So I mean it and to be honest, like maybe that's because you know, you just alluded to it. I mentioned it. No one changes their mind. Like yeah. Someone's not going to convince me that like, oh, actually Trump is great for the country. Like, mm-hmm. and our listeners that maybe like Trump, that's fine. I really don't care because at the end of the day, like we both just want the same thing. We want what's best for ourselves and hopefully what's best for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it gets, it, it gets frustrating being open-minded and just meeting closed-minded conversation. Yeah. So maybe it's better to just get rid of everyone and live in a bubble. I really don't know. But um, I want to kind of get back into the movie a little bit more. Um, and I had thought about doing this towards the end of the pod, but we're kind of in it. Um, I just mentioned the scene from the train to uh, the streets of Harlem being one of my favorite scenes. I'm curious, Matt, uh, if you have uh, any scenes that stuck out to you that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean – it's it's a three hour movie, so like, I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff in there. But one that I keep going back to, and maybe it's just because I'm a John David Washington fan, but like, I really love the ending where they're they kind of have their Dead Poet Society moment, saying "I am Malcolm X," yeah, um, which I feel like had a very similar impact. Like as I was watching it, May nineteenth, we celebrate Malcolm X's birthday because he was a great great Afro American, and Malcolm X is you. All of you. And you are Malcolm X. I'm Malcolm X! 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 I am 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 Malcolm X! I mean, A, it was cool to see John David Washington with his small little cameo. Uh, But it was cool to see, like, those classroom scenes and then see Nelson Mandela um, teach, you know, about... Just like teaching about like, because again, like he's not an American historical figure, but there's so much shared black experience across these different countries just based off of what happened during that period of time and to where it is now, Um, because like South Africa is facing a very similar thing. And so Mm -hmm. to have like sort of that unifying moment and like he go Malcolm X goes to Mecca. And so like it becomes more of a. It, it kind of like transcends being an, an American story. It kind of becomes more of a sort of a global black experience story and where he fits into that story. And so it was cool to see it kind of wrap up with Nelson Mandela um, sort of like lecturing at the end. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I thought if we were uh, if we were the ringers, uh, the rewatchables. Nelson Mandela would have won my uh, heat check award for <laughs> yeah. the movie. Came in and just and yeah, pitched a few strikeouts and whatever. Um, <laughs> With the Mandela thing though, I thought was so interesting is that um, he wouldn't say the final line of the quote. To be respected as a human being in this society 
on this earth, in this day, which we intended to bring into existence. By any means necessary. And that's how we cut to Malcolm X saying by any means necessary, which I think worked really well. I think it was great for him to cap off, you know, the whole quote thing, but I just also found it kind of interesting that Nelson Mandela's like, I won't say that part. You know, I, I won't do that. Like, so he, he, you know, he'll advocate, you know, he is teaching people about Malcolm, which I think is great, but I think he's also just like, maybe not by any means necessary, you know, maybe there's other ways to go about this, but I think it worked great, you know, with Malcolm saying, it. I think the whole end segment was wonderful. For sure. Um, any scenes that stuck out to you, Ben, that you wanted to talk about? I mean, honestly, I, I can't help but get wrapped up in all the times that he's teaching. Uh, you know, I put it in my letterbox, the whole uh, Plymouth Rock landed on us moment, like all of that. It's just hard not to get caught up in it. I feel like my favorite scene from the movie, though, I actually used in our teaser announcement for the podcast itself. And that's the whole um, they're brothers of Brother Johnson moment where they go to the police station where is he? Nobody here by that name. Wait a second. What is your name, fellow? Don't worry about what my name is. Two witnesses saw Brother Johnson brought in here, beat up. Nobody saw him brought out. You didn't hear the sergeant? Outside. I suggest you look outside that window. The cops are saying, like, oh, well, you're not his lawyer, so we're not going to tell you. He's like, I, I suggest you go outside. And Malcolm's like, I suggest you look outside. And they go and look at the window, and just like the street is just lined, you know, with, with the brothers of Brother Johnson, and they all look up at the same time. And they're able to to use, I, I mean, I guess force is the right word, but to use it for good. You know, it's like, let's make sure this guy is getting the care that he deserves. Yeah. They see the condition he's in, like, give me an ambulance now. They get the ambulance. The cop's like, okay, great, leave. Like, you got what you wanted. He's like, I am not satisfied. Like, we're going to the hospital. We're going to make sure that he's going to be okay. And I think just, like, showing the... I mean, it's hard never just to love the symmetry, you know, like people all walking together in unison and doing all that, but it just kind of showed the power of Malcolm and the the control, I guess, that he had, you know, to kind of unify around a, a good, a force for good. So that that was probably, you know, if I had to pick one scene, I'd say that was my favorite scene of the movie. For sure. And then I think it was the policeman said something to the effect of uh, no one man should have that power or something like that, or no, mm-hmm. no man should have that much power. Um, and I thought it was interesting because it like the way that the movie is shown, like you, you see, uh, Malcolm's progression, but, and you see that he's got followers and he's preaching to more and more people, you know, in his churches or in his mosques, but then all of it, like it, 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 it really drives home the point right there. And I think, you know, obviously they did that intentionally. Yeah. Um, but cause it was as much of a surprise to us as a viewer, as it was to the police officers at the station, the fact that this one man had all these people following him. Yeah. Just seeing the level of control he had and the discipline in the group and, uh, yeah, just, just the power that he had. I thought it was, it was sort of a wake up call for me as the viewer, like, Oh, okay. Now he is now the Malcolm X that I thought I knew. Yeah. And it was the first time I think that, uh, at least in the movie, the white, that white America was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> here comes the reckoning. Yeah. Cause there's a part of me that you can't like for as prevalent as racism still is in our society, that I, I like it's hard for me to believe that people don't know what they're doing is shitty and wrong. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's like, to me, it was just like the first time it's like, ah, oh, shit, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, 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 the other shoes finally dropping here. Like we're in trouble. And I thought it was, 
that was definitely a scene that stood out to me. Um, I have it on my notes here. Um, another scene that wasn't my favorite scene, but it was one that, uh, probably my runner up was, um, one of his speeches, uh, over the B roll of, um, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and the civil rights Mm. violence and, and all that. It's funny that this isn't my favorite scene because it was the, I was like floored by it, you know, just, just seeing that, that footage, you know, we've seen it before, but just the way it was presented and the words and like the delivery from Denzel. A hundred years ago, they used to put on white sheets and sick bloodhounds on us. Well, nowadays they've traded in the sheets. Well, some of them have traded in the sheets. They've traded in the sheets. Please, please. They've traded in those white sheets for police uniforms. They traded in the bloodhounds for police dogs. And just like that old Uncle Tom back during slavery time, Try to teach you an idea. By teaching us to love our enemy and to pray for those who use us spitefully, you got these chicken pecking Uncle Tom so called Negro leaders today. But isn't it a great thing? You've got these Uncle Tom Negro leaders today that are telling us we ought to pray for our enemy. We ought to love our enemy. We ought to integrate with an enemy who bombs us, who kills and shoots us, who lynches us, who rapes our women and children. No! 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 That's not intelligent. That's not intelligent. Everything about it, I was transfixed and um, I thought it was beautiful is maybe not the right word, but uh, engaging to say that at the very least, um, that was another one that stuck out for me. Um, but for me, my favorite scene and the one that really left me and, and it's, a, and it's a testament directly to Denzel and his ability as an actor was, um, the Russian roulette scene, uh, when mm. they're setting up their first heist. She loves me. She loves me. Nuts. She loves me. Even though I knew nothing was going to happen as far as like the gun actually being fired. Yeah. um, I I was like, from that moment on in the movie, I was like, all right, I'm in. (laughs) Like for sure. I'll flip first, Rudy. Red, cool it. Come on, baby. Head man in charge, right? Put the gun down. All right, we believe you. We believe you. Red, stop clowning around, all right? For Christ's sakes. Your turn, Rudy. The confidence and the control and the power displayed with that one little scene. I mean, he's obviously, he's got a gun. It's easy Mm -hmm. to seem powerful when you're the only one with a gun in the room. But the way he used it or didn't use it, as it turns out, um, was just... I was, it was written really well and it was acted incredibly. And to me, like the only note I made was just, holy shit, because I was (laughs) like, I like, I knew logically that a Malcolm wasn't going to get shot. Like probably no one else was going to get shot. Yeah. And, and just the, the tense, like how tense it was. Uh, and the way it ended up with this, like, oh, this, like, charming smile, like, oh, I had it palmed the whole time. It was fine. It was like, okay, I get it. You can see not only how good of an actor that Denzel is, but it, it to me, it showed, um, like, 
it was a good representation of how a person like that could come into power because Mm -hmm. from that point on watching him speak and hearing him speak and everything he said, I like, I was kind of like, yeah, you're right. White people do fucking suck. Like I am an (laughs) asshole. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was really like, no matter where he was in the movie, I really felt like I was on his side. Um, and I just thought it was, it started for me at that moment. Um, it really jumped out to me. Um, that Russian roulette scene, it's funny that you mentioned like, that you, you could predict that nothing was going to happen to him and that probably th- things weren't going to happen to other people. But like as someone who thought that Malcolm X was like this violent dude, like I actually didn't know if if something mm. was going to happen. So like yeah. I'm watching this. I'm like, is this the part? Like, and also like with that hospital scene with like the with them all lined up, like, is there going to be some type of violent thing that happens? Like I was surprised yeah. as the movie went on that like there really wasn't a ton of violence. I know that like his words led to like some uprisings and some, some violence, but like that he personally didn't really participate in any of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a, even the fact that, I mean, the stuff he is saying is incendiary, right? But when you really, and, and, and part of the, the best part about this movie to me was the fact that you really get to understand what he's saying and why he's saying it. And in that speech over the uh, civil rights violence footage, I think the end the end of of that scene ends with uh, the words, "He's not teaching us to hate the white man. That's He's right. teaching us to love ourselves." That's right. right. And I think like that message, when you only look at the surface level of someone that's very angry and is saying things that might scare you as as uh, the opposition, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, if you, when you really get down and look at what he's trying to say, I mean, he's saying it in a way that is like. Uh, forceful and it's, and it's, um, you know, it's, it has meaning and power behind it. But in the end, that's really all he's trying to do is he's just trying to, he's trying to teach black people to think about themselves differently. Don't think about themselves in the way that they think white people want them to think about themselves, like really think about themselves. And um, yeah, I can't say it enough. I, that's my favorite part about this movie. Yeah. He talks about that a lot with the, having the slave mind, you know, like yeah. when, uh, when is it Smokey? Is that Spike Lee's character? Is that his name or Shorty? Oh, uh, Shorty. 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 Yeah. yeah. But like when he comes, like while he's speaking and he's like, oh, Shorty, is that you? And he goes back and he sees him. He's like, Shorty, is that you, brother? Praise be to Allah. Now, this is exactly what I'm talking about the slave mentality, the slave mind. This brother and I, we had the slave mind. We used to rob together, we used to sleep with white women, we even went to prison together. Now, don't be surprised when I say we went to prison because some of y'all still in prison right now. Prisons of your mind. You know, he's got the slave mind. He's like, but honestly, a lot of us still do. And that's what we're trying to get away from. Come on, brother. Give me a hug. That's all right, brother. That's all right. Look, he still got his hair fried. That's all right, though. That's the slave mind. That's the slave mind. Yeah, it's just a very impassioned speech not necessarily like hate speech, you know, just like trying to get across the message. Right. Um, speaking of the slave mind, something they talk about is why Malcolm chose to change his last name to X mm. to get rid of his, the, the name that he was, you know, his slave ancestors were given. And I didn't even think about this until just now, but Alex and I were talking about this. Um, she was reading about that very topic. We weren't even talking about Malcolm X. She just was happened to be reading about this. Um, how like black people in America got their last names 
And I think it's interesting how the person that played Malcolm X mm-hmm. is his last name is Washington, which is one of there was Washington, Jackson, Jefferson. Those are three of the like biggest, yeah. like, three of the most widely given names to the slaves. And uh, that that irony just just hit me. And I think that's kind of interesting. And again, it's just more stuff that we're not taught <laughs> in school. You know, we yeah, got to find out sure. through a movie later on. But yeah, that, that stuff was, yeah, that was very, very interesting. For sure. Um, speaking of interesting stuff, um, I asked you guys to pick out some trivia pieces about the movie that you might want to talk about or share. So uh, Benjamin, why don't you share a piece of trivia that you liked and we can talk about that. Man, I don't even know how to <laughs> narrow it down. Honestly, sure. like I, there's so, so much about this movie. Yeah, I've got four that I picked out, but there's you could almost throw a dart at IMDb and yeah. hit a piece. Um, I think one of the probably the most interesting out of all of them for me, and Matt kind of talked a little bit about it earlier, is that this is the only movie that has not not a documentary that's been given permission to film in Mecca. The only mm. narrative film ever in history. And I just think it's amazing that they like even whoever, I don't know who gives the permissions for that, but whoever it was understood the importance of this film and, yeah. and what showing it meant. Wearing the Ikram garb, I made my seven circuits around the Kaaba. I drank from the well of Zemzem. I prayed to Allah for Mount Arafat. It was the only time in my life that I stood before the creator of all and felt like a complete human being. And I just still like to this day, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, they're able to do that. And just to kind of piggyback on that fact, the fa- like they weren't given all the money that they needed initially. And the producers told them like to make the Egypt scenes and the Mecca scenes to film them on the shores of New Jersey. <laughs> it's like this movie does, this is an uh, not awful movie, but like you can't do that to this film. You know, that, that's yeah. insane to like try to think about that. So that's another trivia piece I can get into after we kind of like take our turns. But I, I just think the fact that this was the only one that's been able to film in Mecca was just astounding and uh, so appropriate. For sure. I, uh, when I like watching the movie, that that trivia stood out to me because I thought, oh, that's archival footage that yeah. they got somehow. Because I remember I had watched some documentary. Um, it was like a vice travel documentary or something where a guy snuck his camera in. He like did the trek to. He's a, a Muslim dude and he uh, took his camera with him on mm. the on the tr- uh, trek to Mecca or whatever. And uh, they only talked a lot about how you can't film in there. And it was like, it was a big deal that they they had gotten this footage. So I was like, oh, cool. They got some archival footage and then they built a set to make it look the same. But yeah, um, I think it's pretty incredible. They were able to do that. And, uh, you know, they, they picked the right movie, I think, to allow because it's definitely stood the test of time. Yeah. what about you, Matt? Any any trivia you wanted to share? I mean, I I had, I had written that one down as a highlight as well, just because yeah, it's it's insane. Um, and I was trying to remember: did they film Denzel in Mecca, or did they just have footage I, of Mecca? Because I believe they do. They do I, both. Okay. They show they show Denzel at the I think it's the not the Wailing Wall. Uh, what's the the black cube? That yeah, they like you have to touch. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but they show him. They show him there, and then they have like a couple wide shots of that. Like they you like circle that you circle that square mm-hmm. monolith, and then you you have to go touch it. Um, they showed him there, and then at the end of the movie, maybe it wasn't Mecca, but they showed actual footage of Malcolm X riding the camel towards the pyramids. 
Right. So maybe maybe they don't show Mecca, but because um, I was wondering about that, because apparently, like along with that trivia fact, like they needed a separate like all Muslim crew to like go and do it because because mm. apparently they don't want they didn't want any like other outside people there. But then I think Denzel's like a devout Christian, so mm. I was curious about how that worked out. But maybe maybe it didn't matter. Maybe they got the permission. And... I mean, it was a piece of trivia I didn't plan on sharing, but I read one where he knew which or Denzel knew which glasses Malcolm was wearing at any mm-hmm. point during his speeches. So maybe they felt he was method enough that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at, least, allow at least he knows enough about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Not to step on whatever you're about to share, but I, I think maybe part of it too is that you guys, this may have also been in the trivia, but for a year he prepped beforehand. He didn't take any other right. roles or anything. So he gave up the pork and he, I don't know if he converted to, you know, Islam or just like studied it very well. But I wonder if that's also kind of like what they were like, okay, you, you at least appreciate and respect what's going on here. You know, that that definitely could have led into it for sure. Um, yeah, that doesn't really, uh, step on what I wanted to talk about. What, well, the one, the one piece of trivia that I picked out and it's more so just a commentary on the connectivity of Hollywood and whatever. Cause you know, you th- like if you see anytime I've seen a movie or an actor and you're like, whoa, where did that guy come from? Or where did that girl come from? Or who's this director? It's like you can look back and be like, oh, no, that's they've they came from here. And here's, you know, mm-hmm. what it's it's never as random as you think. And I just thought it was interesting that uh, Spike and Oliver Stone were both film students at NYU and Martin Scorsese was their film professor. Yeah. And at one point, uh, I think Stone yeah, like Oliver Stone had been like offered the movie and he was considering it. And I just like the level of, you know, you think that these, <laughs> these guys come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, no, they he was learning with Oliver Stone from Martin Scorsese. Like, you know who else was in their sense. class? Huh? Ang Lee. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, like Spike Lee's <laughs> like he never spoke to anybody, but him and Ernest Dickerson, who went on to become like his cinematographer for all these films we've been talking yeah. about. But yeah, they were all in class together. I think that's insane. Oh like, what a class to be in. Yeah, it's and it's like you think like, oh, all I had to do was go to NYU, right? But yeah. it's like, no, it's just obviously their their talent level is where how they've gotten to where they are, but it's just like yeah, the level of connectivity is just has always been for sure. Interesting to me. Um, did you, I thought did it was you get in, to share uh, yours, Matt, or did I step on it? I don't remember. No, no, I I mean I was I just kind of piggybacked off of yours. Oh, okay. All right, the, sorry, yeah. yeah. I thought it was interesting. They weren't going to let, uh, they weren't going to let him use Malcolm X's actual speeches in the film, which I mean, I just, I I think we talked for a few minutes about how his actual speech over the footage was probably one of the best parts of the movie, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And like, without it, I mean, Spike said that it would be like making an Elvis movie without Elvis songs. And it's a hundred percent true. It just wouldn't have worked. I'm glad that they were able to get the, uh, get the rights to it. Or maybe they just did it. I don't know how they ended up on that, but um, I think at this point we can probably dive into Rushmore mountain. We can talk about Denzel. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? For, for me, the movie itself, I felt, and I think I felt a little bit different than you guys. To me, it was less about Malcolm X. Like, Malcolm X was sort of like the proxy or the eyes through which we learn about 
what it's like to be a black person in America. Yeah. Uh, and, and he, he was the lens that we saw it through. Cause that's what I, like, I don't, that's what I was left with was more about the overall picture versus like just the story of Malcolm X. But despite that, like the other thing you're, I'm left with was just how goddamn incredible <laughs> Denzel Washington was in this movie. So um, good. And like, I think I said it before, but I was like, I'm all in like, yes, I, whatever you say, I, like, you're right. Like I follow you. And, and not only, you know, it was Malcolm X's words, but uh, I truly felt like Denzel was about as close as you could get to being actually Malcolm on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, without further ado, we can jump into our Rushmore mountain for Denzel Washington. Uh, and, uh, Ben, why don't you, why don't you go first? Give us your picks. So yeah, mine are just going off my personal favorites, um, with Denzel, which I guess they all are with Rushmore mountains, but this one just solidified its spot instantly sure. after I watched it. I was like, Oh, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen on film all time. Like it's fantastic. Um, he's equally he, he's great and he got game i think that's just another great him you know and spike collaboration it's a wonderful film uh training day is he's so powerful in that like he's he's so intimidating in that movie and i yeah. think it's just fantastic like just yeah he's i don't know it, it, he's just wonderful in that for um, me uh sorry no you're the, good uh, the russian roulette scene i was like this is the scene that they knew he could do training day. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like a hundred percent, the charisma, the charm and like the, the sheer like power yes. and yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted him and the, the Malcolm get up just to start yelling like King Kong. He got nothing on me. Like, yeah. This is like, Oh my gosh. It's so, so good. Um, and this is just, it's a personal, like probably my favorite Denzel movie of all time. Uh, and that's man on fire. Like I, I love that movie so much and I would just be so upset if I didn't put my little creasy bear on there. So (laughs) Yeah. yeah, man on fire makes it for me. Perfect. Uh, any honorable mentions? I probably should have had some written down, but I just like I committed to my four. I had a list yeah, of other no, ones. I'm like, I just gotta, I gotta get my four. So, cool. All right, Matt, hit us. Oh yeah, Malcolm X has got to be. I mean, this I've, I said this in my letterbox review. This is where I actually get to see him like be someone else that isn't Denzel. And yeah, I, I couldn't believe like what I was seeing because I'd never seen him just transform into a role uh, the way that he did. Um, but some others that I really like <clears throat> that would make the Mount, Mount Rushmore is, um, remember the Titans, you know, yep. uh, I do remember there. the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always remember. 
Um, Glory. The thing is, we, we brought up Glory. And I think that one thing that sets this apart, Malcolm X apart from Glory, is that like Malcolm X was a very distinct individual. And we knew a lot about like his mannerisms. Like there was enough there for Denzel to take from and convey. Whereas the role that he played in Glory, I'm not sure how much how much detail we know about that character. Mm-hmm. And so even though he did a great job, because he always does a great job, but like it was still Denzel, you know, doing his best to be that that character. Um, and then I got to throw on American Gangster. I need these fresh. If I come back here and get you, you know what it is. Yes, I hear you. You won't have to come back. There will be no problem. What about you, Frank? Where's my money? Red Top gave you the package. He's supposed to be handing me my money. Here's a jar right here, 20%. Oh, you got the jar? That's right. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Frank. Oh, what you gonna do? What the fuck you gonna do, Frank? Huh? What you doing? You gonna shoot me in front of everybody? Huh? Come on. Yeah. Um, that movie ruled. And yeah. I, I haven't seen Man on Fire, and for those of you listening... It's on our list uh, coming up here, so Indeed. we'll do an episode on it. I'm excited to watch it. You should be, uh, because it's also on my Rushmore Mountain. <laughs> and I'm glad you went second, Matt, because mine mirrors Ben's exactly. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. and, and and there's actually more variance to this uh, because of you, Matt, than I thought there was. I thought ours, all three, were going to be exactly the same, maybe with one or two differences. Yeah. Um, I... I thought about putting uh, Remember the Titans Titans on there, but w- when I made my list, I just had to go with gut. Like when I think mm-hmm. of Denzel, these are the movies that I think of. And actually the first one I think of is Man on Fire. So um, I'm super excited for you to see that, Matt, and always mm-hmm. to talk about it. Um, the next one is Training Day. King Kong ain't got shit on me! I think that was the first time I really understood how great of an actor Denzel was. I mean, I always thought mm-hmm. he was good. I liked him and everything, but yeah, that really just drove it home. And then uh, he got game is the only spike movie that I had seen previous to this, uh, spike Lee round. So, uh, I loved him in that. And nice. the, uh, the scene, at, the scene where they're playing one-on-one at the end, like, Oh yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. Uh, so I it had to be on there for me. And then obviously Malcolm X, like, uh, if there's a list out there that doesn't have Malcolm X on it, like I, we need to talk to that person because I don't yeah. know how that could be the case. Guys, I'm going to out myself as a total Denzel poser, but I've seen none of the other movies on your guys' Mount Rushmore. Oh, really? interesting. Uh, it's Well, and it's funny you say that because that's honestly when I was making my Rushmore round, I was like, oh, I haven't seen as many Denzels as I probably should have. Like, I think if I had seen it, it's quite possible that like Philadelphia ends up on here. I just haven't yeah. seen it, you know, like yeah. I, right. I'm sure it's an insanely strong performance. I just haven't watched it. Like there's a lot. Right. I mean, I'm now myself as someone, I don't know how I'm fine not seeing it, but I've never seen remember the Titans. So that hmm. just didn't even like, wasn't even a, a possibility for me. I do think yeah. after hearing Matt's, my honorable mention would be American gangster if nothing yeah. else, because it's like one of two movies that I like Russell Crowe in. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I attribute a lot of that to Denzel. And the other movie, I attribute a lot of it to Ryan Gosling for Nice Guys. Like, I think maybe I don't, I still oh, just don't yeah. like Russell Crowe. I just like his co-stars. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think uh, American Gangster would probably take my my honorable mention. Yeah. 
I think so too. I thought about flight. Um, but that, to me, I was just like, I only liked that movie because of Denzel. Other yeah. than that, I didn't really care about it. Uh, which I guess is a good reason to put it on the mountain, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I felt that way about the equalizer. Like, I think he's great in that movie, but I just think the better version of that story is man on fire, you know, and you get like Tony Scott's crazy <laughs> direction and colors and all that kind of stuff. Like for sure. I love man on fire. I'm very excited oh, to hear so what okay. Matt has to say about it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I'm excited to watch it again. Any oh, excuse. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, I think we've talked about everything that I wanted to talk about. If there's anything that you guys wanted to touch on or anything else, uh, by all means, take the reins. The one piece of trivia that I didn't mention that I think is, I mean, I don't even know how to explain its significance. It's like, it's crazy that they lined up this way. But the first time that Spike Lee showed this movie um, to, I believe Warner Brothers had it first. I think they they probably are the ones that pushed out too. But um, the first screening of the movie happened on the day that the cops in the Rodney King trial were acquitted. So the LA riots started the day that they saw Malcolm X in for the first time. And it was a four hour plus cut. So I I just can't imagine going into that movie. I don't know like how it worked. If it was like during the movie, they got acquitted or beforehand, but just to have LA literally on fire on the same day that you're watching this movie. And I'm fairly positive that everyone in there was a white person. If it was all Warner brothers executives, you know, yeah. just like <laughs> sitting there watching Malcolm X and they come out and LA is on fire. It's like, yeah, this is a very <laughs> wow. relevant film. If you don't think so, just go look at all the smoke out there. You know, I, I just yeah. like, I cannot believe how those like, coincided to be on the same day like not it's not a good thing by any means but just like like what are the chances that that's how that happened so i think that was like uh just insane um and then with it being a four-hour cut they told spike to get it down to two hours and speaking of oliver stone they were doing jfk (laughs) at the same time and he he called oliver stone he's like wait how long is jfk like three hours like okay cool i'm gonna give it three hours then like (laughs) there's no way that like malcolm x deserves less of a story than jfk so i'll give him a three-hour cut so so i know they can release jfk so i say i say how long is jfk it says like two hours but they don't know I know Oliver Stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I call Oliver. Oliver, how long is JFK Spike is three hours? Don't tell him that. <laughs> See, directors, you know, we're gonna look out for each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That that there's you know, we could keep going on and on, but and I think the 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 LA riots was a huge thing. That was the crazy part to me. Um I hate to just gloss over Rodney King and the LA riots and talk about runtime but um like it didn't i don't know how i, I definitely watched it in chunks mm-hmm. uh, i think you guys mentioned how you watched it over a couple different nights but i watched it on one day just in chunks yeah and even though it took up the majority of the day and it you know took four hours to watch it in a weird way it didn't seem like it was that long i don't yeah. know it is an oxymoron and it sounds counterintuitive but the whole thing i didn't feel like there was a moment wasted really Mm -hmm. Even the, even the part of the the beginning where it's just sort of like more frivolous and they're just kind of bouncing around Harlem and you're just kind of meeting everyone. I didn't feel like there was anything wasted and I didn't feel like there was anything that you could cut really. And in fact, I really wanted to see more, which speaks to a, a mini series like we talked about earlier, but, Mm -hmm. um, I can't, yeah, I can't imagine it being any shorter than it was really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, on that note, uh, if you're out there watching, if you're out there listening, uh, we thank you. I, I honestly, like we have a ton, we have a, we have a blast doing this. It's super fun to put these things together and work on it and try to put out something that, uh, we hope people enjoy. So, um, if that's you, thank you. Um, if not, we'll, we'll work a little bit harder. Um, and, uh, you know, feel free to leave some reviews, uh, or, or reach out to us directly, hit us in the DMS on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Uh, we want, we want to know what's working. We want to know what's not working. Um, we want to get better at this and we want to make sure it's something that, uh, our listeners and our watchers actually enjoy. So on that note, I'll sign off and, uh, yeah, thank you. Hoo-ah!